you're listening to the SSPX Podcast. We're happy to present another installment of True Heroes, stories of the lives of the saints delivered by Father Thomas Tam. Father has also put together a video of each of these episodes. You can see the video at sspxpodcast.com. Now, here's Father Tam. Going therefore, teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. Hello, my friends, and welcome to True Heroes. Today we are going to look at the life of St. Augustine of Canterbury and his efforts to spread the gospel throughout the country of England. Let us begin his story. So we do not know really anything in about the beginning of the life of, of St. Augustine. The earliest that I could find personally was when he was already the prior of a monastery. And at this time, most people thought that's where he was gonna stay. He would eventually pass away at this monastery and hand off his position to the next one to come. But Pope St. Gregory the Great had lived under Augustine's rule in that same monastery. So the Pope St. Gregory was formerly a monk under St. Augustine. Pope Gregory, when he decided it was time to send missionaries to Anglo-Saxon England, he didn't choose those with restless natures or the young looking for new worlds to conquer. He chose Augustine and 30 monks to make the unexpected and dangerous trip to England. This must have been uh, an interesting uh, exchange, seeing that St. Gregory the Great, who was now Pope, was a former student of St. Augustine of Canterbury, and now here's Pope St. Gregory the Great telling his former teacher and his former superior to go to England to convert the country there. So remember, this is St. Augustine of Canterbury, so this is not St. Augustine of Hippo, the son of St. Monica. This is a different St. Augustine. St. Augustine of Hippo would come a little later. Hardly had he and his men reached Gaul, that is to say France, when he had heard stories of the ferocity of the Anglo-Saxons and of the treacherous waters of the English Channel. This is kind of funny, so you can see already that the French already had very bad relations with the English in the 6th century. The English and the French were already going at it. Pretty funny to see. Augustine returned to Rome and to Gregory the Great, the Pope who had sent him, only to be assured by him that their fears were groundless. So the Pope said, no, nothing's wrong, just keep going. Obviously, Pope Gregory wasn't French. Augustine set out again. This time, the group crossed the English Channel and landed in the territory of Kent, ruled by King Ethelbert, a pagan married to a Christian who was called Bertha. Ethelbert received them kindly, set up a residence for them in Canterbury, and within the year, on Pentecost Sunday, in fact, so just a a few days, 597, was himself baptized. Augustine was consecrated bishop of the English, and more missionaries arrived from Rome to help with the new task. He constructed a church and monastery near where the present cathedral, begun in 1070, now stands. As the faith spread, additional sees were established at London and Rochester. Work was sometimes slow, and Augustine did not always meet with success. Attempts to reconcile the Anglo-Saxon Christians with the original Britain Christians, who had been driven into Western England by Anglo-Saxon invaders, 
ended in dismal failure. So part of England was already Christian at this point, but these Christians were driven from their homes by the Anglo-Saxon invaders. So now Augustine came to convert the Anglo-Saxon invaders to Christianity and then tried to reconcile the two groups, the Britain Christians and the Anglo-Saxons, to be Christians together. Augustine failed to convince the Britons to give up certain Celtic customs at variance with Rome and to forget their bitterness, helping him evangelize their Anglo-Saxon conquerors. So the Britons refused to help St. Augustine convert the invaders. Laboring patiently, Augustine wisely heeded the missionary principles suggested by Pope Gregory. That is to say, purify rather than destroy pagan temples and customs. Let pagan rites and festivals be transformed into Christian feasts. Retain local customs as far as possible. And that's key there, as far as possible. So it wasn't like these people were offering human sacrifice and we had to try to integrate that into the Christian liturgy as much as possible. No, that obviously was something that would not be accepted in the Christian liturgy. But if there were a couple of small customs here and there that could be used in a Christian ceremony, then they are to use it in order to help keep that unity between the Christian religion and the customs, the natural customs of the country. An example of this is in certain parts of Asia, the locals would use fire as a sign of purification. In the Western countries, as well as the United States, a sign of purification was water. That's why we use water for baptism. But in certain Asian countries, fire rather symbolized purification. So instead of holy water at the doors of the church, blessed fire was at the doors of the church. Now they did not dip their hands into the fire, make the sign of the cross with it, but they passed near that fire to symbolize the purification as they enter the church. I don't know what they did here with St. Augustine in England. Maybe they did use water, but that's an example of taking certain customs of the locals and integrating it into Christian ceremony. The limited success Augustine achieved in England before his death in 605, which was just a short eight years after his arrival, would eventually bear fruit long after in the conversion of England. So Augustine of Canterbury can truly be called and is called the Apostle of England. From the life of St. Augustine, let us learn to help spread the faith in any way we can. It is true you are children, so what can you do? Obviously, you can offer your prayers and your rosaries for the conversion of sinners. This is what Our Lady of Fatima asked the three children when she appeared, was to pray for the conversion of sinners, and she did the same thing for Bernadette Subaru at Lourdes. The effects of a preacher will be useless unless people pray for them, and the prayers of children are by far the most powerful. Tomorrow is the feast of St. Mary Magdalene of Pazzi, who was a Carmelite of the 16th century, who dedicated her life to suffering for sinners so as to open heaven to them, her motto being, quote, to suffer or die, unquote. Until then, God bless you all, my friends. St. Augustine of Canterbury, pray for us.